Please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We've been studying the book of Proverbs this fall, and we've been taking different themes. The theme for today is friendship. I wonder if you've ever been lonely. You know, I, uh, I grew up and lived in the same home all my life. I, uh, uh, had uh, three or four fellows of my age on the block there, and we fought every day. <clears throat> and uh, so I had lots of friends. Uh, we went to elementary school together, and we went to high school, and uh, and then when we went off to uh, college, many of them were there. And when I finished college, I was <clears throat> in the Navy, and I was commissioned, and I was sent to a destroyer. <clears throat> in Dry Dock in Norfolk, Virginia. I went there as a green ensign, and all the other officers were married, and their families were there. And uh, when uh, nighttime came, all the other officers went home to their families, and I was left alone and in a foreign country. <clears throat> and uh, these somehow all the fellows on that ship were Yankees. I couldn't even communicate with them. And uh, I, I felt so lonely. That was my first experience of loneliness. I wonder if you experience that or are experiencing that. Friendships are so important, and uh, Proverbs brings this out in various ways. We think of the causes of loneliness in our society. Probably one cause is the mobility of our society. Twenty-five percent of our society move every year. Another cause probably is the technology that's so highly developed that many of us don't need uh, the help of others to do things that otherwise we would have had to call in help to do. And uh, so much of the technology seems designed to give us more and more privacy, and then we're lonelier and lonelier. Uh, another factor is television. The average person in America watches six and one-half hours of television every day. And uh, you can imagine uh, what happens to friendships when you do this. Uh, all of those are factors, and there'd be many others. The biblical solution to loneliness, God, when he created man, he said it's not good for man to dwell alone. I will make and help meet for him. He created man with a need for other people. And he, of course, uh, creates the husband-wife uh, relationship as one aspect of meeting that need, but just friendships as another aspect of meeting that need. It's not good for man to dwell alone. Jesus Christ was the perfect man, but he was lonely on occasion. I remember when he went in the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, he sought relief from his burdens and loneliness. He sought it in relation to his father, and he prayed to his father. Uh, and that's one essential aspect to having the void that's in our life filled. God designed us with a void that can only be filled by himself. Uh, Augustine said, Thou hast created us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And that's the beginning point of having a real friendship. Our essential friendship has got to be with God and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I love the hymn, I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. 
He drew me with the cords of love, and thus he bound me to him. And not, and round my heart still closely twine those ties which naught can sever. For he is mine, and I am his, forever and forever. I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He bled. He died to save me. And not alone the gift of life, but his own self he gave me. Not that I have my own, I'll call. I'll hold it for the giver. My heart, my strength, my life, my all are his and his forever. That's the only proper response to that, isn't it? Not that I have, I'll call my own. If Jesus Christ was God the Son, and if he came into this world to befriend me and took my guilt upon himself, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But he laid down his life for his enemies. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But if he did that and rose from the dead and now offers me a relationship with himself, uh, that's the crucial thing in life. That's what life's all about. Of course, to have a relationship with him, I have to believe his claims and I have to trust him for my forgiveness. For my way to God, for the one who died for my sins, I have to acknowledge that I am a sinner, that I've broken God's holy law. And I have to surrender my will. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. He must be Lord of the relationship, Lord of me. But if I've done that and I've experienced that, then the only appropriate response, not that I have, I'll call my own. My own I'll call. I'll hold it for the giver. My heart my strength, my life, my all are his and his forever. That's the great thing really about a stewardship season is it, it challenges us to reflect on what he did and what is a proper response from us and to stretch ourselves and, and to give feet to our feelings, uh, to put actions uh, behind the things we profess. Have you ever really uh, found Jesus Christ as your friend? Have you uh, sought uh, that close relation with him? Have you surrendered to him and trusted him? That's the start. But then we need human companions. Jesus not only sought his father's fellowship, but he took Peter and James and John with him. And he said, stay here with me. My soul is burdened. Pray with me. Watch with me. He went off just a little ways, poured out his heart to God, came back, and they were asleep. And he said, couldn't you watch with me one hour? I need you. I need you to pray for me. Uh, human companionship. God designed us that way. We need that. The advantage of friendships, uh, one aspect of it is brought before us in Ecclesiastes, this fourth chapter in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. But for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they will have heat. For how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, the strength of union 
companionship, advantages of friendship. It's important to have friends. Charlie Brown said, I need all the friends I can get. <laughs> and that's right on. Uh, uh, we want, though, true friends. And we want to be true friends. What's the characteristic of a true friend? Well, uh, in Proverbs, we have various verses that bring these out. In uh, chapter 14, uh, we pick up uh, in verse 20 that constancy is a characteristic. We don't want fair-weather friends. It speaks about fair-weather friends. It says, uh, this is 14.20, The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but the rich man hath many friends. Or Proverbs 19.7, All the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? But what kind of friends are those? Those are fair-weather friends. Those are not true friends. Uh, in Proverbs 18.24, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And in Proverbs 17.17, 17, look at Proverbs 17.17. 17, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Constancy is a characteristic of true friends. Someone said, a real friend is one who walks in when others walk out. Constancy. A true friend is one who loves at all times. A brother born for adversity. He's there when, when the chips are down. Uh, he's willing to identify with you when everybody else doesn't want to be seen with you. I was reading the biography of Charles Simeon, a great preacher uh, in England who... Uh, graduated from Cambridge and took a church right near Cambridge and the atmosphere at Cambridge was anything but godly and as as uh, Simeon was an evangelical and he began to preach in this church there the members of the church were so opposed to the gospel that they wouldn't come to church and they, they locked their pews so that no one could sit in their pews and uh, those who wanted to come would have to put chairs in the aisle and that was the only place you could sit. And other students would uh, stand outside and jeer and ridicule the people who came out of the church. And uh, Simeon was an object of ridicule. He said, I was amazed uh, one time uh, when I went on the campus that somebody who had been in school with me came and walked with me back and forth across the campus. Said I was the first person who'd been willing to be identified with me on that campus. Uh, well, a friend's one who walks in when everyone else walks out. Uh, Jesus Christ, of course, is the personification of that friend that sticks closer than a brother, uh, that loves at all times. He's the standard of that. In uh, durable friendships, the glue is commitment to each other. And this idea of uh, this friend that sticks closer than a brother brings before us that you, there are levels of friendship, in a sense. Gothard's material on friendship far surpasses any other material that I've seen. And in his basic seminar, he discusses four levels of friendship. The first level is acquaintance. He says that's where you have 
casual contacts, occasional contacts with somebody. And in that, you have the freedom to ask general questions that would be matters of public information. Where do you work? How many kids do you have? The second level of friendship would be uh, what he calls casual friendships beyond just acquaintances. And uh, this is based on common interest. And here you have uh, the freedom to ask specific questions about opinions, about uh, likes and dislikes or goals in life. The third level of friendship he calls close friendships. This is based on mutual life goals. And uh, here you would have the freedom to suggest projects to one another that would further those goals. The fourth level, which he calls intimate friendship, this would be based on commitment to the development of each other's character. And you would have freedom to correct each other. I spoke on this at 8.30, and in the lobby afterwards, there were several ladies standing around. They said, we've been talking about that, and we've discovered we're at the fourth level. We feel very free to correct each other. <laughs> uh, true friends are, are uh, on that fourth level, you might say. And uh, the, uh, the great biblical picture, I guess, of a, of a close friendship is that of David and Jonathan. You have that described in the 18th chapter of 1 Samuel. It describes their relation like this. This is right after David defeats Goliath. It came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. How is that to describe a friendship? The soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. Here's this commitment. Because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David. And of his garments, even to his sword and to his bow, and gave, and to his girdle, and gave him to David. When we, when we are knit to someone else, we want to give them things. And such giving furthers the relationship. Uh, constancy is a characteristic of true friendship. Candor, openness, frankness is a characteristic of true friendship. In 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. There is that openness to correct one another, and we'll do it. Uh, we'll be frank with one another. Uh, candor. <clears throat> Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you really are committed to someone else and to their development, uh, their character, you're not going to be content to let him have some blind spot in his life or some, something that's hurting him, keeping him from developing as he otherwise would. And you'll have to tell him. Benjamin Franklin certainly was a popular person in later life. But in his autobiography, he says that <clears throat> as a young man, that he was uncouth and brash and lack tact and uh, one day an old Quaker who was a friend of his took him aside and gave him some faithful wounds he said uh, Ben you're impossible your opinions have a slap in them for anyone who differs with you now, they have become so expensive nobody can afford them your friends find they enjoy themselves better when you're not around. 
Well, that had a profound effect on Benjamin Franklin. Changed his whole approach. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Uh, on the other side of the coin, in Proverbs 29.5, a man that flattereth his friends, his friend spreads a net for his feet. We don't help him if we flatter him. We don't tell him the truth when the truth called for about himself. As such candor produces good long-range results. In chapter 28 of Proverbs and uh, verse 3, it says, excuse me, verse 23, it says, He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. I may not find immediate favor, but it has good long-range results. Afterward, it will cement our relationship. Candor, constancy, counsel, uh, where we really share our hearts with one another. In uh, verse, 20, uh, verse 9 of chapter 27 of Proverbs, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel, the cheering effect of such friendship and fellowship, or uh, the healthy clash of personalities and of views and opinions. In uh, 27.17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the counsel of his friend. Uh, that as we challenge someone else's views. Uh, as they challenge us, iron sharpeneth iron. We have to correct those views, or we have to examine those views, defend those views. And this is a healthy interaction. We don't need to be surrounded with net yes-men. Uh, we see the characteristics of true friendship, candor, constancy, counsel. What are the requisites for having such friends? How do you make them? How do you keep them? Well, uh, to make friends, you have to be friendly. In uh, chapter 18, verse 24, King James says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Uh, there's a helpful book out, The Friendship Factor, by Alan Loy McGinnis. And uh, he says here that... Uh, There was a man in his hometown who was a nursery man. Uh, this man was anything but an extrovert. He was very shy. He says his name was Herbert Bales. He was the shyest man I ever met. When he talked, he squirmed, he blinked his eyes rapidly, he smiled nervously. He never ran in influential circles. He grew shrubs and trees, working with his hands in the plot of land left him by his father. He was anything but an extrovert. Yet when Hubert died, his funeral was the largest in the history of our little town. Why did such a shy man win the hearts of so many people? Because he knew how to make friends. He had mastered the principles of caring. And for more than 60 years, he put people first. That's it. Uh, he... And that would have friends must show himself 
friendly. You must put people first. That's so opposite of so much pop psychology that's around. What's the bestseller? The Art of Looking Out for Number One. Uh, this is the art of looking out for others versus number one. And uh, uh, here's the key. The word friend comes from the Anglo-Saxon root meaning to love. I guess one of the best friends I've got in the world is a fellow by the name of Messiah Hibino. Messiah uh, is from Jap- Japan. He was converted through a missionary, came to college in Chattanooga, and then came to seminary where I was in seminary. And uh, we were friends there, but it wasn't a particularly close friendship. I respected him, but he was a year ahead of me, and we had uh, we were busy and uh, just didn't have that much time to become close friends. Messiah's plan had been, uh, when he finished seminary, to go back to Japan and to preach. He did that, but when he got back there, he, all of his studies had been in English from college on. And Jap- Japanese is a very difficult language. And he found that because his theological studies, his biblical studies had been done in English, that he simply did not have the language to preach in Japanese. He couldn't preach in Japanese. He wasn't acceptable to the Japanese over there. And as a result, uh, he decided he'd have to come back to the States and to pastor a church here. So he got married while he was over there, but he couldn't bring his wife back here until he had a job. He came back, he didn't have a job, and he called me up. And he explained the situation. And he said, what do I do? And I said, well, gosh, uh, let's try to help you locate a church here. Why don't you come and, and stay with us for a while and let's see what we can do. I'd just recently taken a wife. <laughs> and uh, he moved in and you know, we began to work and he was there six months with my new bride. <clears throat> uh, and we developed a very close friendship. And over the years, it's been a blessed relation. And he's done so much more for me and for our family than, than we've done for him. But to have friends real friends, we've got to pay the price. We've got to be friendly. We've got to put others first, be interested in them and in their welfare. Uh, Gothard uh, discusses how to advance each level of friendship in those levels. And just, for instance, the first one where he mentions acquaintances. He says that uh, there we need to be alert to each new person around you. We need to have a cheerful and friendly countenance, smile. We need to learn and remember their name. We need to call them by name. We need to ask them appropriate questions about their interest and uh, that it reflect interest and acceptance. We need to be a good listener. We need to remind ourselves of the interest God has for these people and really be interested in furthering God's work in their life, cultivating friends for Christ. Now, uh, if we're going to make uh, friends, we've got to be a friend. We've got to be loyal and available to our friends. In uh, chapter 27, verse 10, Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Friends are important. Uh, Let's cultivate them. 
Let's be loyal to them. We need to uh, cultivate openness with other people. In uh, this book by Laurie McGinnis, he talks about a psychologist who made a wager with some others, others in his profession. He said, I'll guarantee you that I can take a patient and have him communicate with me some of the most private things in his life on the first meeting. They said, you cannot do it. He said, yes, I can do it. They said, how can you do it? He said, by opening and telling him some very personal things about myself. And without me even asking him to do this, he will then turn around and open up and share some of his most private aspects of his life with me. Cultivating openness. Uh, Paul Tunier, the famous Christian doctor uh, who's been so influential in our day, says that as an intern, his life was transformed when he attended a Bible class or a Christian sharing group where people were just opening their hearts and sharing their needs and their joys their hopes with one another. He saw the healing power of such openness. Uh, we need to uh, demonstrate love if we're going to make friends. Again, uh, it says, love is something you do. The best relationships are built up like a fine lacquer finish with the accumulated layers of many acts of kindness. Um, Again, uh, how do you keep friends? Well, we've already seen in our study on the tongue that you need to be cautious with how you use your tongue critically uh, if you're going to keep friends. And we say, well, but we've said that uh, true friends feel free to confront one another. Uh, the wounds, faithful are the wounds of a friend. What's the balance point in there? And uh, the suggestion is made here, <clears throat> if it is very painful for you to criticize your friends, you're safe in doing it. But if you take the slightest pleasure in it, that's the time to hold your tongue. People have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be need to be liberal with our praise, develop the art of affirmation. A uh, second grade teacher had a very frustrating experience with the students constantly getting out of their seats. In a 20-minute period, there'd be 360 occasions when some student was out of his seat. And she would say, sit down! And she did it seven times every 20 minutes. Well, uh, the school authorities uh, were plagued by this situation, and they decided to hire some research uh, psychologists to go in and research in the schoolroom. And so they had her increase the number of times that she said, sit down. So she increased it to 26.7 times every 20 minutes when she said, sit down. And the children, instead of being up 360 times, were up 540 times <laughs> during that 20-minute period. 
Then they had her go back to the seven times, and the children went back to 360 times. Then they had her stop seeing, sit down, but when the children were in their seats and were working quietly, to compliment them, to just frequently compliment them, and the number of times they were up dropped by 33 and a third percent. The art of affirmation, using praise liberally, is such a factor in keeping friends and in molding people. Uh, another uh, aspect of keeping our friends we have brought out in Proverbs 25:17. You may want to engrave this and send it to someone. Proverbs 25:17. Withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house, lest he be weary of thee, and so hate thee. Or there may be another one uh, that. Uh, in effect, says, don't be hearty at the wrong time when it's unwelcome. In Proverbs 27:14, he that blesseth his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. <clears throat> you have anybody in your house that does that? <clears throat> they wake up and fling the windows open and breathe deep and say, "Praise the Lord! It's morning." Or uh, what is it? <laughs> uh, uh, <clears throat> Good morning, Lord, instead of good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> well, uh, the, uh, uh, we need to uh, realize when a joke has gone far enough. In uh, chapter 26, verse 18, it says, uh, As a madman who casteth firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith, Am I not in sport? Here's the practical joker who takes the matter too far. Another aspect of keeping friends, don't be surety. Don't co-sign. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared. With the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go, humble thyself, make sure of thy friend. If you co-sign, you find that uh, you lose a friend. If he doesn't pay, then he feels guilty. I've talked with uh, several bankers, and uh, they said they don't want to co-sign because... They don't want someone to co-sign because in virtually every case, the person who sets this up uh, is a good customer of the bank. <clears throat> and uh, he will co-sign for someone else. And then when the bank, in almost every case, has to proceed against the co-signer, they're mad at the bank. So the bank loses a good friend. And not only uh, are these friends separated, there may be a time for uh, helping someone. Uh, certainly we want to help. And uh, it may be a time for helping in a financial way, in terms of a, a loan or in terms of just an outright gift. But the Scripture warns about the danger of co-signing. You don't expect to have to pay that. And so you may find that you yourself are, are in financial bondage and you didn't plan on it. You didn't uh, have any way of necessarily knowing you would be. Well, we see some of these principles. Uh, are you 
lonely? Have you prayed and asked God to send you a friend? Are you being friendly? Are you reaching out to others? Um, have you made Christ your great friend? Have you truly taken Him uh, into your life and surrender and trust? Could you sing that hymn, I found a friend, oh such a friend? Are you being a friend to others? Really reaching out and putting people first? I was reading a story some time back about a man who had a new car. And he went to a section of his city that was kind of run down. He was really a little nervous about leaving the car on the street when he went in to see somebody. came back and, and a couple of kids were sitting on the steps looking at the bright, shiny new car and all the latest gadgets on it. One of the kids was older than the other, and, and the younger kid was crippled and had leg braces on. And uh, the older kid was just pointing out everything to the younger kid. And uh, so the man walked up, and they said, Is that your car? And he said, Yes. Boy, that's quite a car. He said, Would you like to go for a ride? It was a convertible. Yes, sir. And so the little kid... Uh, the other big one helped him and put him in the front seat and got in beside him and pointed out everything and uh, they drove around the block and they waved at all their friends. And he said, the big kid said, Mister, how'd you get this car? He said, well, to tell you the truth, a friend of mine gave it to me. Really? Boy, oh boy, I wish I... He said, I knew he was going to say, I wish I had a friend like that. But what the kid says was, I wish I could be a friend like that. That's it. I wish I could be a friend like that. That kid had it straight. He was already practicing it with the little fella. That's the name of the game. And that's how to have friends. You know, there's another aspect of friendship. If we're going to be a true friend, and we've got to have that openness with our friends that confronts them with their need of Christ. You've heard the poem probably. My friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth I walked with you by day and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. And now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things. That's true. I called you friend and trusted you. But I learn now that it's too late, and you could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and love and die. You knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and trusted you through joy and strife. And yet on coming to this dreadful end, I cannot now call you my friend. Now, there are other aspects to a person coming to a knowledge of God. There's God's side. God has to call. And there's the individual side. He's responsible to respond to God's call. But there's our side. If we're true friends, we need to tell people about Jesus Christ. Is there someone that you really need to tell about Christ? That you call your friend and he calls you friend? 
but you've never talked to him about Christ? Let's be true friends. Let's be friendly. Let's pray. As our hearts abound, uh, are you really uh, putting others first? Is there someone that you should speak to? Is there a matter of an initial commitment to Christ that's needed? Have you ever really surrendered to Jesus Christ and trusted Him as your great friend? If not, why not do that right now? Pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, I need your friendship above all. I thank you for extending it to me. Lord, I do trust you as my great friend and Savior who bled and died to save me. And I surrender to you. I understand that friendship with you involves obedience. Come into my life. Amen.